the beautiful thing about adding a mindfulness practice in sport is that it gives you a superpower that not many people will have, which is presence and being able to just not overreact to things, but stay in the moment every single time. Kobe did it. Michael did it. You know, the greats do it. You know, Tom Brady does it, you know? And so uh, I think, I think it's definitely something that's necessary. Gratitude on the other hand has been fascinating from a research perspective because the percentages of success, whether it's um, uh, winning in the swimming tournament or whether making free throws in a better percentage, gratitude has allowed athletes to not just be mindful, but consider themselves lucky every single time. This is PT Meal Podcast, where we ingest and digest physical therapy information from physical therapists around the world with a Filipino twist. With your host, Johan De La Paz, a Filipino physical therapist who has worked in different practice settings from the Philippines and here in the U.S. Let's indulge and satisfy our cravings to learn and be inspired. All right, welcome back to PT Mill Podcast, uh, a buffet of play therapies, movement, exercises, activities, and leisure, all packed in a hearty conversation of the physical therapy profession and practice with a Filipino flavor. I am Johan De La Paz, your host. Welcome back to The Banquet. So for those who are uh, watching us for the first time and listening for, to us in, for the first time, the, the podcast is available on your uh, favorite podcast streaming apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many more. You can also watch us uh, on the full episodes and uh, live streams on YouTube. And if you want to stay updated on fresh episodes, interview snippets, research abstract or educational materials or infographics, Follow the podcast social media app accounts in Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, and Twitter. All links and content that are, are also available in the website, uh, ptmealpodcast.com. All right. So let's now go on with the show. So I know this is going to be an inspiring and rousing episode. So my guest today is a physical therapist, a high-performance clinician, life coach, founder of a nonprofit organization, community leader, leader, content creator, mentor, proud Filipino, and uh, the team physical therapist and wellness lead for the New York Knicks. You name it, he's it. So it's my pleasure to welcome <laughs> to the PT Meal podcast, Dr. Erwin Benedict Valencia. Hi. <laughs> Hi greetings, greetings and salutations. Happy evening, Johan. And welcome <laughs> everybody to the PT Meal podcast, rock and roll. All right. So I'm so thrilled to have you here and so excited to to hear about um our conversation. Um so probably let's start with physical therapy journey. I always ask my guests that because uh, I find that uh, each uh story is unique and sometimes probably a listener would be able to relate to your story and probably see themselves in those stories that they they listen to so so what is your physical therapy journey and how did that lead you to becoming a physical therapist in the New York Knicks uh that's a, a long journey that started a number of years ago mm-hmm. probably many 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 moons prior to some of these listeners probably even being born <laughs> um so i think it's really funny i may look like I'm young, but I've definitely had some mileage on me, uh, both from a life experience standpoint, but also from a wisdom and knowledge from the years that I've gone through life and been very blessed to continue to do that and be healthy enough to be able to continue with my journey. Uh, Life as a physical therapist started back in the Philippines as a young PT student uh, at the University of the Philippines. Uh, where I knew at a young age I wanted to be involved in some sort of medical practice, even though at a, even a younger age, my parents were dreaming of me being either a neurosurgeon or a cardiac surgeon. And the challenge I had with those professions, not that there's anything wrong with being a cardiac or neurosurgeon, was I think the dependency that my parents and my family or any typical Filipino family would have of them, particularly during Christmas, when one of my 
I guess, biggest memories is remembering going to a family reunion, having a couple of my cousins who are physicians uh, set up on a table with medications from various basically kind of med reps that were given to them and a line of aunties and titos uh, lined up for meds and for free <laughs> consults for things that are easily preventable, like high blood pressure and diabetes. Meanwhile, in the room next door, there's a whole lechon, there's <laughs> sweets galore, there's every sugary product, every fat product that is in there. So I was challenged to, in my head, why will I want to go into the profession that pretty much just feeds into a bad habit of culture because we can help it because as as the sons and daughters, so to speak, of, of, of Filipino parents, it's our necessity to be able to take care of them. And even that means giving them meds instead of making them change their habits and ways to live a healthier life. And mm -hmm. I said, I do not want to be involved in this. And so um, I found a way, maybe through slight rebellion, to go into physical therapy with my parents not really understanding what that meant. And then more, moreover, continue to study discovering the world of sports medicine before going through physical therapy and knowing that there was no direct correlation or no direct way for me to study that in the Philippines. And so uh, in my head, it was about trying to get myself to a place of medicine that allowed my parents to be somewhat proud of me, but at the same time also be in that realm of medicine that they don't really understand just to confuse them. It was a little bit of a rebellion that I had. And um, even to this day where my mom may not really know what I do, all she does is see is me on a basketball court, sitting down, standing up during timeouts, cheering and getting paid for it and just don't <laughs> understand what I really do. And maybe once in a while when emergency occurs, I stand, I run to the court. But otherwise my mom doesn't believe that there's no hospital involved, that I'm not in a clinic doing ships, you know, I don't have a ship from 10 to 10 to 10 or 10 to 10, you know, um, night, ship. She does, <laughs> night ship or day ship. And mm -hmm. I, my parents, uh, my, particularly my mother still doesn't know how I could get paid to watch NBA games. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I, I think, I know that's a long winded answer, but I think going into physical therapy um, was for me the closest I could get to being in sports without having to go through surgery because I wanted to be on the court every day. I wanted to be there with the athletes, be part of the team. Mm -hmm. And are you part of the team when you're a physician? Yes, but you're a peripheral part of the team. You're not in it from every road trip, going through the wins and losses and the bad days and the good days and being on a road trip and going to bed at 4 a.m. And, and all that stuff. I mean, you're in it as as a team physical therapist for an NBA team or even any other professional sports team. My, my, my career started uh, in professional baseball for eight years. So, um, so you know, I, I think it was definitely something that I wanted to do because I knew that I wanted to be in service to people and I, and I knew I didn't have enough skill or opportunity to be a star athlete. Mm -hmm. So I asked, I told myself, well, what is my greatest gift is to take care of people, to nurture people and help them be the best versions of themselves. And so that's where being a physical therapist came for me. And if I can't be the star, then I can be the star behind the superstar. Right. Love that. So you mentioned that you started in baseball, right? As a physical therapist in, in, base, in, a, in a baseball team, mm -hmm. right? And, and why basketball now? Is it just is it something that just happened, or did you really plan to be in an NBA team? My my goal was always to be one of the first Filipinos that grew up in the Philippines to be in the NBA. Oh, okay. Whether that was me being a coach, whether me being a player, whether me being management, but like again, tapping into my greatest gift, which is um, being of service of others and taking care mm -hmm. of people, mm -hmm. um, and. Baseball came because it was the first opportunity for me to step into professional sports. I was wow. working in a clinic in 53rd and Madison here in New York. And I said at the age of 26, if I didn't get into sports now, then 
what I do is just probably start opening a clinic and be more stable, have a more stable life. Mm. But I knew when I was 18 years old that I had a vision in my head. I woke up uh, after a Super Bowl one day. I was watching in the Philippines between the 49ers, which is my favorite team at that time. Uh, and I forgot who they were playing. But all I knew is that I, because of that, I saw somebody that, that had that, that, that a doctor that had something about sports medicine. And I said, what is that? And it made me go on a journey discovering what that was. And then one day I, I was sleeping and I woke up in, in, a, in a cold sweat in the middle of the night. And I had a vision in my head of standing in front in an arena surrounded by a sold out crowd with lights, with you know, um, you know, with cameras flashing, with the sound of the DJ booth, dancers on the court, basketball players around me. I could even smell the coach's cologne mixed with popcorn. <laughs> I knew that I was 18. I was destined to be on the NBA. I don't mm -hmm. know how, I don't know why, but I was going to be there. And I was going to be one of the first Filipinos that grew up in the Philippines to be able to be that. And I wanted to, because I didn't have anyone to look up to, mm -hmm. I had to become that person. I had to go through the journey and find a way to the NBA. And for me, the first thing you had to do is take a step into sports because nobody was just hired directly. So baseball allowed me to do that. It gave me an opportunity to grow up. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I had to spend a year in the minor leagues, experience what it's like to be working in, in 100 degree plus weather with 100% humidity, busing 18 year old kids that don't speak English, but it allowed me to understand the politics of sport, particularly in the US. And then lucky enough, the year after that, I got an opportunity to become the first ever rehab director of a major league baseball team. There's no such thing as rehab coordinators, rehab directors. I was the first one. I pretty much invented that role. And uh, because I was a physical therapist, I was an athletic trainer, I was a strength coach, but I also, I also um, did a lot of alternative medicine stuff. And so it gave me an opportunity to be a trendsetter. Mm -hmm. Now every major league baseball team has some sort of rehab director or coordinator in there. Um, base basketball came about because it was my, was my dream. My dream was something I that I imagined when I was 18, but it wasn't until 2014 after uh, two failed attempts of, of thought I was getting into basketball right after baseball. And after two years of traveling around the world, I was in Prague during my birthday and I gave gratitude to the universe uh, for allowing me to work the four hour work week and, and basically travel around the world for two years. But I knew that there was still something missing in my life. And it was the dream that, that wasn't achieved yet when I was 18, that dream. And I said, I just, you know, I'm grateful for everything that I've had and the opportunities that I've now been given since, but I, I want you to fulfill this dream for me. And I, I don't know who I was speaking to at that time, but I just told the universe, if you can fulfill this dream, not for me, but for millions of Filipino kids that didn't really have anyone to look up to and wanted to always be in the NBA, which is obviously our number one sport in basketball. Yeah. And so I, I, I said I just I wanted to be that and be the symbol of inspiration. And ironically, you know, I, I that day I went out and I gave three hundred hugs to random strangers and and uh, sent positive vibes to the universe. And and uh, you know, what do you know? Two days later, I get a call from an NBA team. I didn't send my CV out. I didn't apply for anything. They found me. And, um, you know, in the next two, three weeks, four other teams called. Oh, and wow. I didn't know how, I didn't know why, but I just became a hot commodity. And I was pretty much the number one draft pick of every team that was looking for for a position, so to speak. We mm -hmm. filled. Wow. So the universe answered your call. Absolutely. And I came from a pure heart. And that's what I always tell people. It's like when you ask for something, don't do it for monetary purposes. Mm -hmm. Don't do it because you want fame or fortune. Do it because there's true intention behind it. And when you do that, the universe listens. Mm -hmm. And I also like what you said that uh, since you uh, don't have anyone to look up to, you have to be that person mm -hmm. for, for others to look up to. And that is one of, I guess, uh, the thrust as well of this podcast is for uh, the future generations. When whenever they watch this, they would see someone like them uh, in that position that they dream of, dream to 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 become. So uh, let's talk about your roles in uh, the New York Knicks. You're a team physical therapist and a wellness lead. So what does that? What do you do there exactly? I was initially brought in um, as uh, 
the team physical therapist and assistant athletic trainer for for the Knicks, just providing more of the rehab stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the following year, I was very blessed enough to um, have been quote, quote unquote brought up by one of my all time idols, Phil Jackson, who was the president of the team at that time. And Phil uh, basically made me in a sense, the overall head of the medical and performance department by making me the director of training and conditioning. And I basically was in charge of predictive analytics with regards to predicting injuries from occurring, looked at numbers and sports science, but also provided, you know, the highest, highest mode of clinical care. Um, You know, I was one of, I was one of the first to bring a number of techniques into baseball uh, as an innovator of manual therapy, you know, and then I, then brought that as well as my clinical skills to basketball, but also being administrator, also being uh, a sports scientist and also being a clinician. So it's, it was a lot of work oh, and um, because you also deal with the politics and you have to deal with public relations. And this is all part of being the head of medical and performance. And this was in, in New York, it's crazy. So there's, you know, there's no bigger market as it relates to sports and media than New York City. And so the pressure was really on. I was that position for three years until Phil Jackson was let go. And I thought I would be done mm-hmm. as well. I would shake hands with the organization, say thank you for my tenure, and then leave. Mm-hmm. But fortunately for me, a coach named David Fisdale, um, I will forever be grateful for because him and I met each other at a Tony Robbins event the year prior to. And for anybody that's listened, doesn't know Tony Robbins, he's one of the most famous life coaches and most famous motivational speakers, right. uh, billionaire, you know, and made his money through personal growth. And we were at a, a Tony Robbins event together. And when he got the job with the Knicks, I walked into his office and I said, hey, coach. And he was like, oh, my God. Um, his wife was like, how do we know him? And he's like, honey, we were in Tony Robbins together last year. And I was like, oh, my God, who would have thunk that we would find itself under the same roof? And I said, Coach, are we bringing Tony? Are we bringing Wimpoff? Are we bringing, are we bringing all these famous speakers to speak to the players? And he goes, Yes, we are, and you're going to be in charge of that. Mm-hmm. And which gave me, um, I was about to leave, and I said, You know what? Maybe this is a different calling for me. Rather than thinking about the ego of being the boss, so to speak, of the medical and performance department, maybe it's about specializing in something that I've been gifted with and been passionate about for many years, which is really the wellness space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been a meditator since I was seven and I started teaching meditation when I was 12 through Taekwondo in the Philippines mm-hmm. and then started on a journey of personal growth through the Silva Method, the Celestine Prophecy, the book, and a lot of other things that allowed me to be more mindful and bring this mindfulness and wellness thought process in sport and started the first ever uh daily in-season breath work and intention setting program in the nba was mm-hmm. the first one to bring headspace as a tool for for technology to allow players to begin their mindfulness journeys and this is something i was passionate about and, and mm-hmm. try to bring speakers who were the best in the world with biohacking and, right. and added a lot of biohacking elements did yoga did you know breath work in the middle of the court and and it was a calling for me it was something that i was passionate about and so what did that mean for me? What title? And I say, you know, this is just being the head of wellness. And there's no really no head. You're just the lead because there's no, who are you heading? Yeah. So there's no, there's no people underneath me. Mm-hmm. So I was just the lead. So I was the wellness lead. And so wellness then became for me, my true differentiator. After all the years of being a manual therapist in baseball and being the most innovative manual therapist in baseball, be, become one of the best clinicians in it. In baseball medicine, I said, how can I innovate myself when now everybody is caught up? Now everyone's a manual therapist. And even though it's NBA, then I said, why why don't we bring back ancient wisdom and allow Mm -hmm. ancient wisdom to be able to be part of a high performance team Mm -hmm. at the most valuable basketball team in the planet? And and I focused in it and it's brought me to where I am today, where I'm one of the most respected, you know, I think clinicians, not just because I do something different, but Mm -hmm. because... Um, I also, I'm, I am myself that person. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge sometimes for people who want to get into certain things is that they try to propagate knowledge or wisdom, but that's not who they are. So now right. it becomes inauthentic. Mm-hmm. I am that. I have a black belt sitting down on right in front of my desk. I have the picture of the Dalai Lama. I have, I have yoga pillows and I have essential oils floating in the air in my office. And so mm-hmm. I am that, that funky shaman 
hat wearing white coat flowing dude uh-huh. that happens to work in sports so uh-huh. and you can't you can't fake that i can't fake that yeah no. <laughs> i don't just go to a a course of yoga in bali and pretend i'm the yoga guru that's yeah. not who yeah. i am i've been doing this for 30 years mm-hmm. and you you mentioned breath work meditation yoga people would say this alternative how were you able to uh convince the players who are like when you say when when we say basketball nba we think about strong speed uh strength and we we don't usually think about them doing yoga doing breath work how were you able to get them into those uh techniques and and uh, and participate in those it 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 begins as i as we talked about earlier it begins by me being it mm-hmm. uh, I, i think if you are authentic in what you do and then the world catches up to that mm-hmm. and then the players realize that you are that person uh-huh. and now they ask the questions and mm-hmm. once they're finally open then they'll allow you to teach them but also the entry point mm-hmm. i came in as a respected clinician and scientist mm-hmm. i think they knew me as that from the beginning so they knew from a scientific evidence based aspect there was no question that i was skilled uh-huh. there's no question that I knew what I was doing and had mm-hmm. enough experience of of what I was doing and then little by little what I've learned in sports is that it takes about 5 years for you to be able to then show your true self and be okay with it mm-hmm. you know there's that 5 years even in baseball of like I was doing all these innovative techniques and my head athletic trainer at the time was like hey you, you know you can't throw out the kitchen sink everything in a year introduce something new once a year mm-hmm. and allow the players to be comfortable with that one thing that new that you do and so that in the end you would have introduced five new things that nobody else in baseball has ever done but you were one of the first but then you already gained the trust of all the players that you were doing the normal stuff mm-hmm. but then you also had a little thing that maybe got them better and you'll always refer that like oh everything is normal but then when when it's really bad or they're going through something and they can't get healed or they can't feel painless then they'll say you know why don't we try this one thing that you mm-hmm. do then next year like oh let's try one of those two things that you do and then next year oh one of those three things that you do uh-huh. so it's a slow roast and a slow introduction of innovative ideas that allows you then by your 50 year to say you know what you you are that person mm-hmm. now we trust you because you now have a tool belt bigger than anybody else in the league. Ah, uh, okay. So that's what you did. You slowly introduce stuff to them and let them you know experience that for themselves. Yeah, and and what's funny is but people forget that when it comes to teaching something that's different, that's alternative. Right. All you can really do as a teacher is plant the seed. Mhm. You can't force a plant to grow. Mm-hmm. You can't force fertilizer in it because it's going to be inauthentic. Mm-hmm. So all you can do is plant the seed, allow time to do its job, allow the sun, the elements, the wind, the air, the soil, uh, you know, the food to nourish that thought. And it will grow on its own and particularly when its challenges occur. Let's let's say, you know, as a plant when we're talking about when we're using plant as an analogy, mm-hmm. if a storm comes in, and the plant doesn't know how to get back up that's when it get asked for help and then you provide a little bit of water mm-hmm. or or you bring some sunshine to be able to make that plant grow back on mm-hmm. and just like an athlete a lot of times their biggest challenge are are the what is those incidences that they have their biggest challenges are those times that they're finally going to open up their mind and say you know what i've tried all these old things maybe try something new and that something new works for me guess what I want to know more. Have you observed any changes in the in the athletes they handle once they start oh, that journey? For sure. Uh-huh. It's 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 guaranteed the ability for them to find more peaceful time when they feel like enraged and angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh you know the abilities for the athletes to just be more mindful of their time mm-hmm. and have less focus on their phones or less focus playing video games but rather going to the steam room when we're on the road and by themselves or 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 reading 
you know, mm -hmm. when they otherwise wouldn't be reading because they feel like that's kind of what connects them. Mm -hmm. Or maybe now listening to podcasts of inspirational speakers or stuff mm -hmm. like that. And then I don't force all of that. Mm -hmm. I think the players find their own journey to that. And all I can do is answer their questions when they ask it, mm -hmm. because it's something that then pushes me to also elevate myself on a regular basis. Right. And going to that last one that you said, how how does mindfulness play a role in your life? I mean, it's played a role in my life since I was seven years old. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been a mindfulness practitioner for, for a while. I didn't even know that it was, it was mindfulness. mindfulness. All I knew, it was like I was meditating. Mm -hmm. So all I knew, I was finding stillness in the midst of, mad of, of madness before my Taekwondo classes. And mm -hmm. then when I was 12 and I got my black belt, my, my sensei was like, okay, now that you have your black belt, now you're teaching the class from 10 to 11.30. I'll show up at 11.30 for the sparring part. And I had to teach my whole class how to be silent in their, in their minds by sitting down and thinking of white screens. And, mm -hmm. and I was 12, mm -hmm. 12 going to 13. And by some of my classmates were not only the five to eight-year-olds. I had my classmates that were like 20s, mm -hmm. 20s, 30s. And they were following me, right. you know? And, uh, and for me... Every day, my practice has helped me pause and being able to download insights of life for me to either A, continue to evolve or be able to face challenges when it, when it hits the most, whether it's professionally or personally. Mm -hmm. And having a practice allows me to just be me in the most natural sense and have this quote, 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 Zen feel that all my players and friends always see me as, or even new people that I meet, even doing things like, like cold plunges and being able to stay there for seven minutes into my neck. Yeah. But with this calm, um, calm face, because mm -hmm. all I'm doing is finding myself in this space, um, in this mindset, so to speak of peace that's within me. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I mentioned earlier in, in the intro, which I also read from your bio, uh, that you're a uh, gratitude coach. So could you talk to us about uh, what what gratitude is? Yeah, I, I mean, gratitude, being thankful, is, mm -hmm. is something that we all know. Mm -hmm. It's evident. Um, and I think the funny thing is that it's become a little bit of a... Of a of a fad now for everyone to say, hey, what are you grateful for? Or or give gratitude, hashtag gratitude, hashtag grateful, whatever, shirts. <laughs> I mean, I am wearing my, my friend's gratitude room right now um, and uh, hoodie, which I love because of the butterflies that it has oh, and the texture that it has. This is a beautiful, beautiful hoodie. And um, uh, and and for me, gratitude has always been in in me as a Filipino, knowing the difference between those who have and those who have not, and those who have opportunities and those who don't. We walk out of our door from our house in the Philippines and you could A, find somebody who's wealthier than you, but also B, find somebody who's not at all uh, wealthy and doesn't have anything. Mm -hmm. you know, they only just have slippers. As in my classmates in UP just had slippers. and Not because it was a fashion statement, it was because of something that, that they only had. And for me, growing up, having parents that were always good to other people, that took care of other people, that created initiatives to be able to support those that were having a harder time. I think it was ingrained in me to make sure that I stop and always be thankful for what I have. And in 2015, I I was ending my I was I was in the midst of ending a relationship uh, on Valentine's Day in 2015 or 2016, and uh, uh, and you know this was a beautiful soul, a beautiful woman that asked me um, every day, "What am I grateful for and why?" Mm -hmm. And I said, "Well, I'm Filipino. I'm always grateful. I mean, I, the fact that I'm alive, I'm here, and I'm trying to be able to aspire." No, no, no. But but why? What each day? Why are you grateful for what you're grateful for? And I said, "Okay, that's interesting. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll go with that." And when we broke up. I still heard her voice in my head of asking me why. And so a few months after we broke up, I decided to start something called the daily gratitude on Instagram and which has become what I do. And I've been doing daily gratitude, hashtag daily gratitude for more than six years now. 
Oh. It's because what I do is I hold myself accountable for what I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. So if I if I medit when I meditate and I download something, or maybe something I felt like from the day before that feels the right moment in time after my meditation, I say, okay, that's what I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. Then I put it on Instagram. And then I say why I'm grateful for that. Because when you when you when you basically put a why to what you're grateful for, you make it real, you make it whole, you make it tangible. Everyone that says, hey, are you what are you grateful for? And they just say it, it it's in passing. So it doesn't become an actual figure of thought. It's merely something that passes, that floats or floats around and doesn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. So it's not real. There's no real intention and no accountability. So what I did is putting what I'm grateful and why as an accountability measure so that it was just like my ex-girlfriend asking me. So now the world asks me or holds me accountable for what I'm grateful for. And, and what happened is I started doing that. People started getting inspired and they started saying like, hey, I'm coming from India. I'm coming from Iran. I'm coming from Brazil. I wait for what you're grateful for every day because it reminds me to tell myself that I should be grateful too, even though the craziness is happening around the world. Mm-hmm. And, and it allowed me to continue and then became then something I studied. And I said, why is it that gratitude and being accountable for gratitude reaches a number of people. And so, and I began studying the research behind it. And mm-hmm. as I continued to different, to try the different arts and practices about it, I also started studying it from a positive psychology standpoint. And during the pandemic, I went into a program at, at University of Pennsylvania for positive psychology and studied gratitude from a scientific research standpoint. And when that happened, was funny the first thing that i studied the first really the first the first paper we had to read as part of the program talked about the happiest people in the world through a gallup study that was done and through that study which included well-being and which included and gratitude uh, i realized that not only was i in the five percent of the happiest people in the world i was also part of the one percent and that made me realize how powerful my practice of gratitude was to my well-being but also how i live my daily life and that that pushed me even more so after i finished that program with pan i decided to go and do a do a phd on it mm-hmm. and uh, I, as i continued to study it I, I continued to i created a group during during the pandemic on clubhouse which became gratitude gang which is the one of it was the largest and the first and largest um uh, first and largest club on on clubhouse to be dedicated to gratitude. We almost had 50,000 people there. And uh, and then in turn, use that thought process and also the community to help raise funds for um, rebuilding schools in Shargao mm-hmm. and also provide mental health services for the kids affected by the storm that happened in December of 2021. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was through Gratitude Gang. And so Gratitude Gang has become what my community is which is also now turning into a full-on nonprofit, which is my second nonprofit after Grasshopper Project, which is a mentorship program for people in the health, wellness, and performance field. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've been blessed every day to be able to use the power of gratitude to to run my life and create energy for me to give back and to Mm -hmm. do what I do the best, but also have the power of gratitude power a community of people from all over the world uh, to remind themselves that when we do give gratitude, there's no other negative emotion or variable or polarity that comes into our system. So when you start with your day with gratitude, everything else is a piece of cake. How would you showcase your gratitude if there are a lot of you know things that are happening in your life, tragedies or crisis? problems how do you still find gratitude it's just by simply doing exercises that allow for them doing techniques mm-hmm. whether it's writing a gratitude letter or by simply putting your heart on your your hand over your heart and your other hand over your over that hand mm-hmm. and waking up every morning taking a breath and telling yourself i'm grateful because i'm breathing right now mm-hmm. i'm grateful because i'm alive mm-hmm. and now that i'm alive what can i do differently today that can create an impact in this world. And no matter how mad the world is, all you have to do is give thanks when you first wake up in the morning. And if you do that for at least three weeks, your life would change. Try that. Yeah, it inspired me to do that. (laughs) Um, You mentioned earlier uh, happiness. Should 
people try to be more grateful than happy or can they be both and they strive for both happiness and being grateful the challenge with being happy is that you can be happy but also be sad mm -hmm. it, it, it is an emotion that has polarities that can be part of it when you're joyful you can still be angry it was like yeah you know mm -hmm. that's, you're joyful but you're kind of angry yeah but being grateful there's no other polarity there's no negative polarity to being great you can't be grateful and ungrateful simultaneously mm -hmm. you can't be grateful and sad because grateful just holds the space in your brain and in your heart mm -hmm. and so uh, i i think not necessarily you know focus on being grateful or or, or being or being happy I, I think what people need to be more of mm -hmm. is intentional mm -hmm. and because if you're not intentional about giving gratitude then your gratitude is like i said earlier just a passive thing that flows in and out of you mm -hmm. if you don't are not intentional then you can't make choices that allow you to be happy mm -hmm. if you're not intentional then you won't stop when empathy needs to take place, when there's something that you feel needs to, you know, needs to be said or not said. Mm -hmm. So being intentional will also means that you're being mindful. You're pausing, pausing before you say something, pausing before you do something, making a choice that's proper and correct for that moment in time. And you just not go through life in on uh, autopilot. You're thinking exactly. of whatever step you're taking mm -hmm. okay so talking about um earlier you mentioned you studied gratitude on a scientific um air, arena area how does mindfulness and gratitude affect an athlete's performance it, this is something that i've been studying and it's been very fascinating mm -hmm. um because what mindfulness does, and this has been proven through what Michael Jordan has done, if anyone's ever watched The Last Dance, and one of these reporters that covered Michael back in the day would always say the difference between Michael Jordan and the rest of the NBA is that he was always present. Mm -hmm. And that through the practice of mindfulness, Michael was able to know that if, if his opponent moved, he could see it because he took that second to notice what he was going to do and mm -hmm. go the opposite way or beat him or jump because everyone else was thinking about anticipating moves or going five steps ahead. Michael was just fully present. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing about adding a mindfulness practice in sport is that it gives you a superpower that not many people will have, which is present. Mm -hmm. And being able to just not overreact to things, but stay in the moment every single time. Kobe did it. Michael did it, you know, the greats do it, you know, Tom Brady does it, you know? And so, uh, I think, I think it's definitely something that's necessary. Gratitude on the other hand has been fascinating from a research perspective because the percentages of success, whether it's, um, winning in the swimming tournament or whether making free throws in a better percentage, gratitude has allowed athletes to not just be mindful but consider themselves lucky every single time mm -hmm. so when they do something there's no angst to things or like i have to do it but rather say hey i i'm i'm very lucky to be in the position i am mm -hmm. and with this thought and this feeling that i hold that i can grab onto any given time i use breath as an anchor to kind of get them back mm -hmm. taking a breath and taking a breath for gratitude it gives the the player an advantage to not be tied to a result, but rather live in that moment and make it a sweet moment no matter what. So like there's no regrets or whatever when they mm -hmm. commit mistake. Nice, nice. Is it something like mindfulness and 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 the sense of gratitude? Is it something that comes naturally to a player or can it be trained? It has to be trained. Uh, I mean, I learned that when I was seven through martial yeah. arts. Mm -hmm. uh, I Maybe there are some people that inherently have mindfulness when they grow up, mm -hmm. but I think it only occurs if your parents as a baby teach you that. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's a plant that you grow into. Mm -hmm. You have to know what it is, and then you grow into it. 
without the awareness of what it is, then you can't be aware. So it definitely, from an athletic perspective, is necessary for somebody to be there as their guy, their Sherpas. And that's the way the athletes know that they're doing it properly and then allowing themselves to then explore that on their own. And there's no uh, two people that would have the same level of mindfulness, level of gratitude. All of us would be have like different levels. Yeah, because we're all individuals. We're all different. So we can't say like you and I have both tens with mm -hmm. regards to mindfulness and gratitude because mm -hmm. my life and the life I've lived is different from what you did. Exactly, right. So um, for physical therapists or anyone who's listening to our podcast right now who's seen your work, what you do, and look up to you uh, as an inspiration in reaching their dreams, doing the work and living your dream right now, what advice can you share with them? Uh, there's always this, there's, there's a formula that I have, I've put together since I first made it to the NBA when, when ABSC Ben brought a, uh, a reporter to ask me these questions, uh, as I broke history, so to speak, being the first Filipino raised and educated in the Philippines to be in the NBA. And I don't know where it came from, but all I knew is that a mic was put in my hand and I looked <laughs> up into the camera and I said, visualize it, mm -hmm. prepare for the path and manifest it. And I'll expound on that. It was when I was 18, I, I knew what I wanted. I knew the vision in my head was real, that was possible, that I was going to be in an arena filled with the scent of popcorn and cologne, with the music from DJs and, and the lights and sounds and, and the lights of cameras and, and, and all the lasers and the basketballs around me and even the dancers in front of me. I was very clear with my vision. I knew what I wanted. So when I visualize it, I could feel it with all my senses and not just, and without doubt, without doubt. And I prepared for the path. I went to school. I tried to do everything I studied. It was one step to get to that goal. Mm -hmm. And there were some choices that I could have made would lead me towards a different direction. Well, I knew that the path that I was going to were the right path, was the right choices. At the same time, included me taking a pay cut, included me being an intern, included me, you know, moving from different states and being in another country completely because I knew each one was a stepping stone to the greater glory of the vision that I envisioned. And, and doing the work for not just professionally, but personally, mm -hmm. because if you are not ready to step on the grand stage of what is like the NBA, and you and and then you go in there thinking that you can handle it, but you don't have the experience that would bring you there, and you're just gonna crumble. You're gonna crumble from the politics, you're gonna crumble from the people that are around you, you're gonna crumble from the fact that sports, professional sports, is not not just being in front of the camera and hanging out with players, it's you actually doing the grunt work and not sleeping at night. Mm. And so you have to prepare for this path and knowing what you're going in for. And number three, manifest it. A lot of times we, we, we try to force things from happening and we think that we deserve something. So our ego takes place as, oh, well, well, I did the work. I, I studied, I, I, I did the con ed stuff. I got my DPT. So I deserve this job. Like, no, who determines that? It's just you, your ego is saying that. So what you need to do is just like, take your time, be comfortable with who you are. And allow the universe to say, hey, look, it's your time, kid. It's your time to shine. And when you do that, the nectar is even sweeter mm -hmm. because it was something that was part of divine intervention and wasn't something that you planned for. Sometimes the universe humbles you before mm -hmm. giving you what you want. And yeah. I, I like that. Visualize, prepare for the path, and manifest it. So I, I wasn't disappointed. I was very inspired by our conversation. <laughs> and we're at the end. Of, so before I let you go, I usually ask my guests my last bites, my last uh, three questions. Okay. Um, so my first last bite is, what is your recipe for success? Well, it's that three, four, that's that formula <laughs> right away. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's my formula, anything. And mm -hmm. I was even asked this year, 
in April when I went home to the Philippines and my dad asked me that. I said, you have this formula that you have for success professionally. Mm-hmm. Have you used that same formula for your personal life? Mm-hmm. My dad got me there and I was like, ouch. Dad, huh? That's a good <laughs> one, huh? I never even thought about that, you know? I, yeah. and, I, and, you know, being in the world of professional sports is hard for, a profession, for your personal life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to hold a relationship. It's hard to... To, to not be part of a relationship that ends up breaking down because mm-hmm. it's you're never with each other mm-hmm. and your time is owned by somebody else and mm-hmm. so um so you know it would so be able to use that recipe for professionally but also implement that personally i mm-hmm. think i'm not saying that's a one-stop shop but it, mm-hmm. it allows for at least uh at least some steps towards the mm-hmm. right direction mm-hmm. right all right nice um, my next last bite. Um, how do you continue to sharpen your knives? How do you continue to develop yourself? Uh, it's always find yourself surrounded by people that are doing work that are even bigger than what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's being able to say not to stay in basketball or in physical therapy. It's like who are around you are at the forefront of innovation. Mm-hmm. It's hanging out with people that work for Google. It's hanging out with people that work at Facebook. It's mm-hmm. it's entrepreneurs, lifestyle entrepreneurs that are are building brands on their own. Um, mm-hmm. It's surrounding yourself, being invited to or 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 crashing parties or events that wake you up, that allow mm-hmm. your mind, your body, and your spirit to flow freely and experiment what the what the edges of consciousness are. And by doing that, you know that you're going to the next level. Because the worst thing in the world is not only regret that mm-hmm. you didn't try something else that allowed you to get higher, is not to get to your full potential. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, my last bite. What are the three ingredients that you always carry with you, no matter where you go? Uh, it can be a characteristic, a value, um, a verse, a quote, a statement. So in short, what are the three ingredients that make up Erwin? Hmm. It's uh, obviously gratitude is my number one. Mm -hmm. This is who I am from a being perspective. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's service. Mm -hmm. I am a man of service. And and for me, the most important thing for me is to be able to create impact in this world by serving others. And and three, passion. Uh, I think being able to live my life passionately and explore things that I love that are passionate about allows mm-hmm. me to not only continue to grow, but to express myself fully and not be a sheltered, not be closed in a shell. Mm-hmm. By doing that, I truly live my life to the fullest. I mm-hmm. YOLO, I everything else in between mm-hmm. um, because I, I live with passion. Mm-hmm. And so that's it. I begin, I, begin my, I begin and end my days with gratitude. I, I begin my days with gratitude. I, I am always a servant and a servant leader first. Um, in, in in the hopes that I inspire and impact as many people as I can through my purpose, and in the end, I live life with passion, mm-hmm. because what's what's a life lived when you don't have passion to it? It's like a waste of life. Yeah, I love that gratitude is throwing out yourself to the universe. Service is for others, and passion is for yourself, so you don't get stuck. Uh, I like that. <laughs> so. Again, thank you very much for uh, being in the podcast and really inspiring uh, us. I know I I am trying right now. Try I'm gonna try that gratitude though. Uh, being being more more grateful uh, and mindful of uh, my life right now. Um, so um, in a usual Filipino banquets or get together. We usually give our guests in Pabaon and like their takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here, um, what do you want our audience to take away from everything that we talked about in this episode? Oh, uh, well, Pabaon is basically, if anything else, dream to inspire others. This is uh, a quote that I, I don't know how it came to me, but I put together. And during one of my photo shoots, I had it written on my forearms. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything else, dream to inspire others. That means that living your life filled with passion, but then doing it because there's a purpose of service 
for people and purposes and reasons bigger than yourself. All right. All right. Very thank you very much for again being in the podcast and inspiring us with your life, with your message, with what you do in the teams and for others. So um again for the listeners, uh you know this is your sign <laughs> to be more grateful uh about our lives and be mindful of how we live it. Okay, until next time, uh stay tuned to our next episode of PDML Podcast. Thank you very much, everyone. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to PT Meal Podcast. If you like the show and want to support it, please follow the podcast's social media accounts in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Share the episodes you're listening to or episodes you love to listen to so that the message can reach more people. Also, if you have anything to share with everyone about the profession or your practice, do contact me and we can work something out. If you have any suggestions, feedbacks, questions about the show or the guests uh, of the show, you can reach me through all the podcast's social media accounts or through the website www.ptmealpodcast.com or through email at ptmealpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to PT Meal Podcast. If you like the show and want to support it, please follow the podcast's social media accounts in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Share the episodes you're listening to or episodes you love to listen to so that the message can reach more people. Also, if you have anything to share with everyone about the profession or your practice, do contact me and we can work something out. If you have any suggestions, feedbacks, questions about the show or the guests, Uh, of the show, you can reach me through all the podcast's social media accounts or through the website www.ptmealpodcast.com or through email at ptmealpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks.